the car I have now, it's connected to my local network and that it gets updates. And, you know, uh, just as your computer updates or your phone, your car updates, it looks like a different car display when you get into it. Uh, it's got sensors everywhere that are monitoring every imaginable thing. All of which <laughs> that data is going to someone else to, uh, to actually process and, and make use of. And of course that opens up all sorts of uh, social issues and uh, issues about uh, responsibility and, and being responsible in using data and also in providing data. You're listening to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, as they discuss all things ORAU through interviews with our experts who provide innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, how we're impacting an ever-changing world, and our commitment to our community. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU podcast. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Further Together, the ORU podcast. I am your host, Michael Holtz, and really excited for the conversation that we're going to have today. I have on the podcast this week, um, Dr. Phil Bourne, who is the Dean and Stevenson Chair of the School of Data Science at the University of Virginia, and he was on a panel that ORU and UVA hosted um, a couple of months ago talking about the importance of data science. And I wanted to have a conversation with Phil about basically launching um, kind of a standalone school of data science and why it's important and what the school does and what it, um, the importance of data science and just kind of all of those things. So that's why Phil is here. So Phil, welcome to Further Together, the ORU podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, you are currently the Dean, but I know that you have um, a, an interesting and extensive history um, in science and then in data science. Um, I know specifically based on some of your work at NIH. So if you would just briefly tell us a little bit about your background and how, how you got to where you are. Uh, well, it's been a long and winding road uh, over, I hate to say it now, the order of 40 years, I guess. Uh, I actually started off in physical chemistry, uh, okay. my PhD is in. And from there, I had drifted into uh, really into biology and then to computer science. And I always really enjoyed the computational aspects of what I was doing. In fact, I enjoyed that much more than fiddling around with test tubes and all these other things. Um, and so that became a sort of driving force in what my interests were. Uh, and then this is before anyone had ever heard of data science, but of course there was, there was data. And uh, at one point I got involved in developing or helping develop uh, what was called the Protein Data Bank, which was the main uh, resource for uh, macromolecular structure, which is a three-dimensional structure of biological molecules, uh, basically. And uh, we did that for the order of, well, I did it, at least it's still going. It's actually, it's, this year is its 50th anniversary. Wow. Uh, I was one of the, uh, I guess, uh, the overseers of it uh, for about 15 years. And I think in that time, it's fair to say, um, well, not only was it, it just showed the value of quality data to science, uh, but I think, you know, what we put in place became 
somewhat of an exemplar for at least biological databases. And uh, that was really an exciting aspect for us. And, and a lot of my own research was based on using that data. There's nothing like you using data you're responsible for maintaining to actually uh, provide the feedback needed to make it useful by yourself, but also by others. Right. Uh, that really kind of then led to a number of things, including companies I formed. Uh, this data is used a lot in drug discovery. And so we work quite a lot in that area in early stage drug discovery and still do. Um, but I think that that background uh, got me interested in first of all forming companies to work with, with data. And so I then became the Associate Vice Chancellor for Innovation and Industrial Alliances at, UV, at UCSD, uh, UC San Diego. Um, and that was a lot of fun um, working in, with the private sector. And then uh, the opportunity came to be the first, and I was the first person doing that. I was also the first chief data officer of the National Institutes of Health. Uh, my title was Associate Director for Data Science. I reported directly to Francis Collins. Uh, and, you know, uh, Francis said to me, uh, well, you know, I want you to create, help create an integrated data uh, environment across NIH. And I said to him, well, what am I going to do next week? You know, <laughs> Uh, that, of course, is still ongoing and be ongoing for a long time. But uh, I think the, the general notion is that, you know, the sharing and, and multiple uses of data across the enterprise are really important, whatever the enterprise. Uh, so that then led me to, uh, you know, uh, move on to this idea of setting up uh, a school. I came uh, to U University of Virginia uh, at the time when they were looking for someone to direct the Data Science Institute. And so that's where it started and it escalated very quickly into, into a school. And that's what I'm doing right now. So is the School of Data Science one of the, I have to imagine the first, if not the only, but one of the first schools of data science in the country? Yes, there's very few commitments at the level of a school. Uh, I think we were the first. Uh, it's hard to say because how people describe themselves, but um, within the hierarchy of academic organizations, uh, school is a big deal. And certainly we were one of the first. Uh, there are a number, when we start, even when we started in 2013, which was before I actually got here, okay. um, that we were an institute at that time. There weren't that many institutes. Now there's literally hundreds of initiatives around the country uh, of varying ilks, ranging from uh, you know just something that's embedded in a computer science or an engineering school or statistics or applied maths or somewhere like that uh, to uh, you know a complete enterprise like we have. Why is it important to have? Um... A, a standalone school of data science like UVA does? Well, just to sort of uh, perhaps in a bit uh, tangential way answer the question is when I was looking around at, uh, at what to do next after my uh, time at NIH, I mean, I could have gone back uh, to UCSD and, you know, essentially done much the same thing, but I was looking at these kind of opportunities and there were lots of data science opportunities, but very few of them had, uh, well, none of them I came across actually had this, where the data science itself was awarding the degree. 
So even though we were only an institute <clears throat> at, the, at the time, uh, we were awarding degrees, which was, which was very unusual, but it, it created this sense of uh, equity across the institution, because typically it's only schools that uh, award degrees. So the fact we were doing it as an institute was, uh, I think, created a sense of equality with all the other schools within the institution. That, of course, grew when we actually became a school itself, particularly okay. as we had the largest gift in the university's history. That always helps things along. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's, there's this sense of uh, autonomy within the organization. At the same time, we don't want to, you know, we, so we, we're an equal partner within the organization. But, uh, you know, we're actually working at the same time to break down the, the typical barriers that exist in any organization. Um, and that's why we call ourselves the School Without Walls. And it just seems to me and, and all the team that work in the school that, you know, this is data science is really the opportunity to, to change that dynamic because it touches everything. It touches every discipline. And I think... To me, that's where the real excitement lies, is when we can use the sort of centrality of data science approaches and techniques and skills uh, across the, the organization, bringing data from very disparate places to do really exciting things that wouldn't uh, otherwise happen in a typical siloed organization. There's, or some people will describe it uh, cylinders of excellence. Uh, this is, you know, this is really kind of trying to break that down. Um, and, you know, we, we've, we've got an organizational structure that addresses that. And I could certainly describe that if there's interest, but, uh, you know, we're, I think we're well on the way to achieving some of those, uh, those goals, and I, uh, which just adds to the excitement. Well, and you, you mentioned that, um you know, it's cross-cutting, you know, in terms of all disciplines have data <laughs> on some level. So the School of Data Science, I imagine, helps helps bring some of that together. Um, what are the benefits to, you know, the general population, the folks like me who are, you know, I'm not a data science scientist at all, um, but, you know, I, I'm aware that data is coming at me <laughs> constantly and my data is being collected, right? I mean, carrying my phone around, all of those things. Um, what are the benefits to, you know, whether I'm the end user or I, you know, I'm another scientist to having um, basically that, the collaborative focus of a school of data science? Yeah, so let me answer that with a, a little story. This just happened, well, a while ago, actually, <laughs> given the uh, COVID. But, um, you know, I was actually at a, a coffee shop and a, had a bit of a bakery and someone asked me exactly the same question. Uh, I said, well, pick an object and I'll tell you a data science story of how that affects you. So they look around and they said, blueberry muffin. Okay, <laughs> so there's a blueberry muffin sitting on a shelf over there. And so, you know, I'm just making all this up, but uh, it, it, you, you, it's easy, you can do it with anything. Um, and, it, you know, it goes along the lines, well, you know, as that's being manufactured, what you're increasingly seeing is instrumentation that, uh, and machinery that essentially has a feedback loop so that it's, you're actually measuring, you know, the distribution in this case of ingredients in that muffin, and that's feeding back automatically into resetting the machine. 
you know, so you're constantly keeping up the quality of that muffin. So that's a good thing. Uh, how do I get that muffin to uh, out to the bakery from, you know, where it's baked? Um, well, that, you know, there's a supply chain that does that. There's a distribution center, there's trucking, there's whatever it is. The efficient the operation of that and, and when things change, uh, predictive modeling for how to get that muffin into the bakery on time, all involves data and data science, right? Then it's there, what happens now? Well, that's great. You can look up Yelp or whatever, it'll tell you that uh, this is a great bakery. Well, you know, next year, what it's gonna tell you is that, oh, it's 20 past 11, there's a 47 and a half percent chance that that muffin's still on the shelf, right? Based on uh, data that's collected about uh, how it's bought and sold. So again, all that data aggregated uh, makes for a better product uh, in principle and a better consumer experience. I mean, that's, you know, that uh, we, we actually seek to work on projects of societal benefit. They're a bit more than just you know, the best muffin at the right time. But, sure, sure. but, <laughs> but that's, the, that's the basic idea of, of what we're doing. And, you know, that data, of course, what's driving all this is that data, as you point out, is increasingly becoming available from all sorts of devices. And obviously that's, you know, we're just beginning to see uh, what, what that implies. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just stunning. And your car or every device in your home is becoming, you know, a data <laughs> tool and, you know, and on it goes. Right. Because you've got the Internet of Things, you've got, you know, all of the things that your car can do, that your phone can do, that your Fitbit or whatever <laughs> wearable device you're, you're wearing can do. So Yeah, I so, mean, it's just, you know, I think the fact now that the, the car is becoming, you know, an integral part of the whole, of your whole life's network. Uh, mm -hmm. in the sense that, you know, the car I have now, it's connected to my local network and that it gets updates and, you know, uh, just as your computer updates or your phone, your car updates, it looks like a different car display when you get into it uh, it's got sensors everywhere that are monitoring every imaginable thing all of which that data is going to someone else to uh to actually process and, and make use of and of course that opens up all sorts of uh social issues and uh issues about uh, responsibility and, and being responsible in using data and also in providing data well let's talk about that um the responsibility um since since it's on the table um how important is that issue in particular and um you know equity and health equity and all of the things that sort of go along with you know responsible use of data i imagine privacy is in there on some level um etc so um where are we as a country, as a world, in dealing with all of those issues? I think, you know, I think we're, just to say at the institutional level, that uh, we see this as an area where we can make a, a significant contribution in, in the sense that uh, the, the, the notion of responsibility uh, and leadership is something that's a big part of the University of Virginia. And so, uh, so, you know, we're trying to leverage that in what we do. So we think about data science as this thing that affects humans. 
and then humans need to affect data science. Mm. So it's kind of a virtuous cycle um, of how we how we think about that. Uh, and so, you know, so in other words, if there is some aspect of what we're doing, uh, data scientists, that whether it be some kind of uh, bias that emerges through the way we process data, as an example, then we need we need humans to tell us that, and we need to correct it. And uh, you know, and it's not going to be perfect in one cycle. We have to keep iterating and, and trying to improve. And you know, and that's just our general modus operandi. I think, in general, um, you know, uh, legislation, uh, the sort of aspects to it, there's this policy and law uh, that comes into play. And I'd say both in policies and law, uh, we're nowhere near, you know, as we're way behind the curve with respect to what we can potentially nefariously do versus uh, our ability to deal, deal with it through policy and law and whatever other uh, mechanisms. So it's really left very much to the purveyors of these technologies and, and you know, to, to take it upon themselves to do the right thing. And, you know, clearly that is, and the part that worries me a lot is that, you know, that in a small percentage of cases, that's not happening. But those are the ones that get all the attention. You know, the glory of having a, a blueberry muffin when you want it, it doesn't get any press. On the other hand, you know, I won't mention company names, but we all know what they are. You know, they're, they're under serious uh, threat in a sense by virtue of uh, events that happen within those companies, even though there's a lot of good that happens within those companies as well. <clears throat> And is that part of the, um, I guess, self-regulation? Like if there were more robust policies and laws, those sorts of things may yeah. happen. I mean, they will follow in time. And you, know, you look at what the uh, Europeans in particular are doing with respect to privacy laws. They're, they're significantly ahead uh, in terms of uh, what's expected of uh, the public and what the public can expect than we are here in the US, as an example. Uh, we're we're rather fractionated in the way we think about these things, and you know that and that I think has some unfortunate consequences. And you know, as we've been discussing with respect to data science, it, it sort of touches that that threat, that danger is there with absolutely everything that we're we're doing right now. And uh, it, it's you know it's 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 a challenge. Sure. Um... And one that I imagine has no easy answers um, or has answers that may be difficult to get to. Yeah, no, it is, it is difficult. And it's, uh, but it's something that we need to embed within all of us teaching these uh, capabilities, really take it, must take it upon ourselves to, really, in my mind at least, make it the number one concern that we're, we're dealing with. Um, and that's not just say, oh, we're going to put an ethics course in our programs. You know, that, that obviously is important, but it's really establishing a culture of how we think about this. And that culture needs to persist through every aspect of what we do, which really one way of looking at that is respect with respect to you know what, what's called the data life cycle or the data or the uh, just a, or research life cycle for that matter, 
which is from the moment you start to conceive what it is you're going to do as a data scientist, you have to be thinking about the consequences. And then the moment you collect some data and how you collect that data, where you collect it from, what it is, that has consequences. How you uh, manipulate that data to look at it uh, further, that has consequences. How you analyze that data, uh, you know, how you actually present that data, uh, and it has consequences uh, in, in how it's being visualized and whether it tells, a, uh, you know, an unbiased story and so on. Mm -hmm. And then how it's all of that beyond that, how it's even disseminated further. So, you know, we have responsibility for all of that and that's, we need to be thinking about it in those contexts. Okay. And that's a lot of steps. So it's important it to, to be vigilant. Yeah, and you know, I think that it particularly, in, well, in many contexts, uh, that I was just thinking about <laughs> about you know that the whole uh, essence around fake news now, and, mm. and and that you know that's really at the dissemination step as much as and but also it's presenting data in ways or, or lack thereof in ways that uh, are misleading, and that's you know it's this is at the fore right now and. Right. Our ability to combat that is, uh, is you know, I think part of our responsibility uh, as best we can. And there are ways of showing all of that. Uh, it was, uh, you know, as you can tell by my accent, I, I'm not actually from Virginia. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was just watching recently the, you know, the Queen's message in the UK. Uh, they made a version of that that was completely fake. Uh, it was actually very funny but it was actually done by one of the TV stations in Great Britain to emphasize how easy it is to do. Because for the first minute or two, you would not realize it was not the Queen of England that was speaking. And really? uh, only when they showed you or when she said things that was absurd, did you realize? <laughs> so it's really, it was a very poignant way of uh, telling the public that this is happening to you all the time. You know, that, you don't even know it. And you don't even know it. Um, so I think those kind of eye-opening lessons, uh, you know, really important. Yeah, it's important in combating that is, you know, akin to putting the toothpaste back in the tube, right? I mean, it's, it's out there, so we just have to help people understand how possible and probable it is that, you know, it's out there you know, fake news and deep fake videos and photos. So um, you talked a little bit earlier about how um, the school is um, divided up is not the right word, but the, you know, types of faculty and the con concentration areas, I guess, for the school. How, what are some of the, those focus areas for the School of Data Science at UVA? Yeah, that's a good question. We, um, it was quite, in a way, amusing if, uh, that after we became a school, we sort of stepped back and said, well, wait a minute, what is data? You know, we're a school of data science, but what is data science? <laughs> um, to, what does it mean to us? And I, I alluded to a bit of that with respect to responsibility, but we've, uh, you know, responsible data science, but we've we've actually divided us uh, it up into what we call a, a four plus one model. And okay. the four elements uh, that make it up are 
essentially analytics is the one that people think about. That's all about machine learning and artificial intelligence, but that's only frankly a piece of it. Uh, other pieces of it are systems, which are you know, the underlying nuts and bolts that supports what we do. There's design, uh, which is really how we think about uh, organ, you know, the human, how the computer human interface works, if you like. And then the last part of the four, apart from the analytics piece is value, which is gets to this issue, this tension that exists between doing something that could have uh, negative consequences uh, and, and balancing that against, you know, uh, what it means to society uh, and, and making sure that doesn't happen. So those are the four elements. And we've actually, did, and the plus one, are all of the practical applications across every imaginable you know, discipline, everything from religious studies to economics to, uh, you know, to diplomacy and management and leadership and everything else, uh, or, you know, that's, that's where it's all those four elements are applied. And that's how we're organizing ourselves. And we're not having departments within the school, okay. but we're having focus areas that uh, focus on those four components so that people have a sense, you know, uh, they, they have expertise typically, actually quite often in more than one. But uh, so, you know, it's, it's to keep a kind of matrix-like organization without, you know, because you can have silos within silos. If right. schools are silos within university, departments are silos within schools. And, uh, you know, there are reasons that's happened. Um, and, you know, some of them are good ones, but I, I, I don't think it makes sense uh, for what, what it is that we're doing. So, you know, we're, we're keeping that uh, pretty fluid. And then we also organizationally, we've established the notion of what we call collaboratories where it's, we actually have a focus area of interest with another school. Okay. So an example would be uh, educational analytics as a collaboratory between our school of data science and the school of education, where we're looking at how we use data and analysis tools to actually create uh, a more um, personalized educational experience. Because uh, you think about how we get educated now, it's basically a bunch of kids sitting in a classroom all you know, effectively all getting the same thing uh, when in fact they all learn and have different types of skills and capabilities and different rates of learning. And we're not really taking a lot of that into account, but increasingly we have the tools uh, and of course the data that comes from those tools to do a much better job. So that, that's just one example across you know, two, two uh, disciplines that reside in two different schools. And you can imagine that. In fact, this morning, I just had a discussion with our Darden School of Business uh, around business analytics, because that's clearly, clearly another area. You know, uh, the notion of an MBA being, uh, it's really becoming, you know, a master in business analytics uh, mm -hmm. over time. So uh, there's a lot of work to be done together there. And I can go on and on across the other nine schools at UVA. <laughs> but it sounds like great great work and great um, collaboration. What is the um, need for data scientists um, now and into the future uh, for folks who are listening who may still be trying to figure out their career path or maybe want to make a change? 
is data science, if that's an interest, something that um, there's a great need for? Well, I, I have to preface what I'm about to say by, you know, it's very easy to drink your own Kool-Aid. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I can't help but really believe that the, the, the well, we already see it in the marketplace. I mean, uh, there's just the, the supply is, is, doesn't anywhere meet the demand, even in these unusual times. And that's our advisors who are mainly or exclusively actually private sector uh, folks, they'll tell you the moment, you know, this, this starts, it starts to un, un, unwind um, you know, from COVID, we're going to see uh, the demand, you know, increase to address a lot of the kind of things that we've seen. I mean, the breakdown of supply chains, the health disparities that come from COVID, this, you know, it's just a couple of examples of things that are going to be addressed uh, need to be addressed, and data science obviously will equip to do that. I, on that note, I had a conversation with a colleague who, after 9-11, um, you know, ORU does a, a good deal of staff augmentation slash, you know, research participation programs at government agencies around the country, and after 9-11, they saw a huge influx of folks who were interested in security on very different levels. Um, it sounds like, and she was hopeful that after this experience with the coronavirus, that there may be students who, you know, want to help avoid <laughs> this sort of thing happening, happening again, or, um, you know, as you mentioned, help, you know, do work to repair the disparities, to make things more equitable, to um, work on supply chain issues. Um, so it sounds like um, the possibility certainly exists for people to um, get involved in all of, all of the issues that we're seeing today with the coronavirus and PPE distribution and vaccine distribution and all of the things that are becoming yeah that are becoming problems and or have laid bare issues that we weren't maybe aware of as much, at least from a public perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, in, you know, COVID is obviously the thing that's on everybody's mind, um, rightly so. And, you know, I think you've described where data science contribute, you know, and it goes, it really goes across the whole gamut of, uh, everything from the molecules that, you know, make up the virus mm -hmm. to how it affects whole populations and the economy of, 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 of well, the global economy. I mean, there's just oodles of different possibilities right there. And that's just within the COVID landscape. Sure. Then you think about, you know, everything else that's happening, you know, uh, arguments about the breakdown, potential breakdown of democracy and the impact of social media. Well, you know, again, amazing data sources uh, right there, right? Um, social media data is not that hard to come by. Uh, it can be analyzed and, and used in, in positive and negative ways. And we, we've done many studies on that kind of thing. Um, you know, what's actually in, within the, the uh, print, you know, print media and with respect to uh, newspapers and so on. Uh, it's, 
uh, you know, it's 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 all there for the taking and in, in, in analysis in some ways, and hopefully, you know, outcomes from that will have positive, instill uh, po positive change. And I have to say that's something that we we take very seriously. It's it's not we're not in the business of just publishing papers that you know <clears throat> that sit on a virtual shelf gathering dust. <laughs> it's really how we affect change uh, as a result of what we find. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I first encountered this at the NIH, just to give you one example, is that there was a lot of excitement about what big data would bring uh, to health disparities. <clears throat> well, you know, we started doing all this kind of analysis and yeah, what did we discover? Yeah, the, there was health disparities. Well, we knew that from the uh, census and other studies before that. Right. It, it, we may have known about it in finer detail, and but did it really instill change? No, not necessarily. So what, and how we would think about dealing with that issue is the idea that when we instigate a study, that the people who can actually affect change from the results of that study are part of the, the work in the beginning. So if it was local governments, for example, that we would try and bring them in uh, to actually understand what it is we were doing in the beginning. And over time, they get vested in the whole process. Right. And then hopefully at the end of that, they then see it's not just us trying to convince them that this outcome is important. They've been part of the making of that outcome. And then they're more, more likely to act upon it. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's what we're... That's, you know, so it's that, the notion of that kind of translation uh, is something that's really important to us and, and something we, we try and instill in all the things we're doing. That's fantastic. That's um, really, I think, um, laudable to, you know, put the research into translation and hopefully into practice, especially if you're bringing the communities along, you know, through the whole process and hopefully solving some of the problems and, um, or making life easier or you know, it is that, um, you're researching. So I love that idea of it's not, it's not just white papers on a shelf or, you know, in publications, but it's, you know, actually put into practice. And that, that speaks to, you know, something that's extremely difficult, of course, which is culture change. Because sure. typically in a university environment, you know, the, the metrics of success are those papers. They are the grants, that which the grants tend to come from papers. Mm -hmm. So to actually place value elsewhere is a challenge in a, in a conventional system. And, you know, we, we struggle with this in our own promotion tendencies, we've, we've written in clauses that, you know, that, that basically reflect what I've just been describing. Uh, we'll see how well it works over time. You know, we're still very new. And, right. uh, you know, getting, getting away from the convention is, is never easy. Uh, it's easier when you're a new entity. But very quickly, you know, things get set in their way. So We'll see. It, it, it's this is a very interesting experiment in its own right, and uh, much will be written about this in the future. Uh, but uh, uh, not put on a shelf. Hopefully, applied somewhere. <laughs> uh, anyway, feels uh, very exciting for sure. Yeah. Um, so, 
Um, Phil, is there anything, I know we've kind of talked all over the map. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to make sure to um, discuss before we close things out? No, I, I just to sort of emphasize that I think, the, the, you know, the, the world is in a, a real state of change and uh, there are opportunities in many different contexts to really contribute in a positive way. We didn't talk about things like the environment or anything. That's obviously another one of our major, uh, or beginning to be one of our major focus areas. Um, you know, I think we all have a role to play. And, <laughs> uh, you know, as data scientists or otherwise. And um, I can only hope that we all go forward doing the right thing together. Awesome. I want to end on that note because I love that. So Dr. Phil Bourne, thank you so much for joining me today for Further Together, the ORU podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Further Together, the ORU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at ORAU, and on Instagram at ORAU Together. If you like Further Together, the ORAU podcast, we would appreciate you giving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your reviews will help more people find the podcast.